automation applied to an inefficient operation will magnify the inefficiency. Those are the words of Bill Gates. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we know that before automation, you need a data-driven sequence to automate. Welcome to Incamera Podcast, Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Great. Welcome back. Thank you, Leo. How are you doing today? Thank you for asking. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm good. I took it out of your mouth. I know you usually <laughs> the one that asked me. <laughs> yes, great. So, you know, it's been quite a week. We've been talking about it. Uh, this was Masters Made Perfect, hopefully last virtual conference, right? And I say hopefully not because the conferences uh, haven't been great. It's just like it would be very exciting to envision that the next Masters Made Perfect conference can happen in person. So um, that's amongst the things that have been happening. And I know, Grace, also you've um, prepared quite a presentation about tech for lawyers. And I'm dying to hear all about that. But before we jump into this, Grace, I came across this morning with an article from Search Engine Land, which, of course, we are going to link in our episode notes. But I do want to go and read some parts of it, Grace, because it's super relevant to a topic that we just covered not too long ago. And it just really puts into perspective Sometimes, and I don't, I mean, it's a little bit of a drowner, but at the same time, it's a wake-up call to realizing how proactive we need to be for review management and generation. That's the topic. So, Grace, let me me start here by, by giving you a little bit of context here. So, Eric Goldman, who is an associate dean for research and professor of law at Santa Clara University School of Law, wrote about a case in Michigan, like an actual case in court, where a law firm had a one-start review left that had no text. We've all seen them. They're useless, these types of reviews, because they don't necessarily help the user in any way. You leave a one-star review with no text in it and no explaining why is it that you're leaving that review there. You're really not helping neither the business and you're not helping the users who are trying to decide whether you should go to that business or not. So what happened here is that also the identity of the user was unknown. So it was one of those, you know, funny, well, not funny, but it just had like a nickname, Doe2. That was the name of the user. So obviously that did not help the law firm to really identify, okay, who could have been this maybe legitimate client who left this negative review so we can proactively reach out and try to um, come to an understanding here, right? So um, the identity of the user was unknown and the law firm claimed that the user posted the wordless one-star review to their Google My Business listing with the only intent to cause damage to the reputation. And here is what happened. This was the Michigan court statement. We concluded that as a matter of of law, a one-star wordless review posted on Google Review is an expression of opinion protected by the First Amendment. 
What do you think, Grace? Wow. Yeah. Big blow, wow. right? Yeah, that is big, big blow. And this is a good reminder, Grace, not just about this particular situation with review generation, but unfortunately, other injustices, if you may, that happen in platforms like Google, where you really cannot do anything as a business owner, like you're literally powerless. To give you a few other examples would be brand protection. Other advertisers uh, strategically targeting your brand to show their ads. That's one. You cannot do anything about it. You can go any route you want. You're not going to be able to win in court on that, specifically just on that fact. And then you have also, unfortunately, in Google Ads as well, people who are committing deliberate fraud to attack your campaigns, exhaust their budgets so that they get better odds at showing their ads to real users. And this is extremely frustrated and frustrating. And for instance, us as agencies, we have a whole system. We invest so much time, effort, and hours, Grace, on creating these very thorough reports, tracking IPs, showing trends, so that we can then report this back to Google in hope that they will actually take some action, which really what we want is for them to stop that. The main thing that we want them to do is to start taking more proactive approaches towards identifying these fraud activities before they actually get to the actual advertisers and most importantly, the users. And so, I mean, this is just one example here and it's about review reviews and um, the impact that they can have. Now, uh, the article goes on and explains here the story about another business that one day unexpectedly just all from the start and started to get bombarded with worthless one-star reviews. Just one star review after the other, after the other, after the other. And that started depleting the average reviews uh, score for the business. Uh, they don't specify whether it was a law firm or not. And then six months down the road, the, the author of the article went back to search for that business. The business was gone, right? So it's um, these are very sad stories, but a wake-up call to remind ourselves of the importance of actually having proactive review management system in place that is actually encouraging and asking for reviews from real, genuine clients, customers, so you can actually always keep on generating good, positive reviews. So if this were to happen to you, whether it's one or whether it's a wave of one-star reviews, this can actually not have such a devastating impact on you. And I also think, Grace, even though this is a very recent article that just got published today, I also think that there is potentially a chance here that with the new developments and the new reporting system that Google just released a few weeks ago that we've talk talked about, there is now more willingness from Google to actually address illegitimate reviews and help businesses give a little bit more of control as to what what could be a legitimate and what could be an illegitimate review maybe doing a little bit more of research on the on the profile of these people who are leaving those things and trying to identify if any of these are actual real users or if they can be just fake accounts or whatever that is but yeah i read it and it reminded me about what we've talked and you know it's it it, it kind of plays a little bit 
Devil's Advocate to what we were mentioning on that review, on that episode about reviews where we said, you know, negative reviews, it's not always the end of it all. But we were referring to reviews that actually had comments and you could actually engage in a conversation with a user and also kind of work away to potentially get to a positive resolution with the user and get them to change it. But when you're in a situation where you just get a wordless review, no way to identify who the actual user is, the situation is a little bit different. And when this happens uh, as a wave, then um, it can be a very, very serious problem, right? And the best way that we can tackle and address it is by being prepared with good reputation, reputation management systems in place. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a blow to your business, as you just said, because, I mean, that's when you get inundated with negative reviews, your averages, it's the law of averages will start to reduce the highest reviews you have. And the more that you get all of these one star, one star with no information, how are you supposed to combat that? And the only way to combat any of that is what we've always said, which is have a good review process already in place. Make sure yeah. you ask, you make the ask, and that you, you know, you yeah. fix anything you can in terms of if you already have a one star review in there and somebody said something and you know who it is, fix it. You know, don't wait a couple of days, don't wait even five minutes if you can. And there's tons of systems out there to help you with that. And as we've mentioned uh, back in that episode and in many other episodes that we talked about reviews, always um, respond. Even if they uh, fail to leave a comment, even if they uh, probably don't have any interest to connect with you, it does show, however, that you're in control, that you're listening, and that you don't take these one-star reviews lightly, and that you are doing as much as you can from your end, A, to try to find a positive resolution for that matter, and secondly, try to identify who this person is to start with, right? Because I think it's 100% fair if somebody with a name that cannot be identified or that you cannot find on your database comes and leaves you a review, I think it's perfectly fine for you to go back into in, into your um, Google My Business and leave a, a, a comment there, right? A response saying, we could not find your record with us by the name that you left this review, but please feel free to reach out. We would really like to have a conversation with you and find out how is it that we can uh, make things right for you or help you or whatever that is, right? So exactly. um, I think it's 100% the right thing to do to disavow the, the actual review by telling them, as, as of now, we don't know who you are. You've never done business with us, but that doesn't mean that we're not interested in listening to what you have to say. Exactly. Cover yourself. Yeah. I mean, coming and going. So, I mean, again, always answer. That's what you and I have always said. And you always need mm -hmm. to respond and you need to respond prompt and professional. That's the thing, right? And then, so so that comes through. And then if you do have a good and strong and you're working towards um, review generation, as you should, then there's going to be one or two other positive reviews that are going to show up also in between, right? These potential no, wordless reviews. Hopefully you won't get any of them. But if you are getting them, well, at least you're going to also, the users are going to start seeing that there's good positive reviews that are coming through from people who are actually leaving real and genuine comments and that you're responding back and that you're acknowledged that yes, you've worked with them and you're, you're happy to hear that they had such a good experience with your business. And so, you know, people are going to be able to tell, I mean, 
something something's wrong here with these reviews not with the business that's uh you know worst case scenario if you are if this actually is happening to you google is not removing these reviews for you 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 still need to have some level of control over the situation and i think that's it completely agreed i mean reviews are the lifeblood of your business everything is word of mouth and if it's not word of mouth then it's posted online and you need to take care of it so Tech for Lawyers, Grace. Tell us about it. Yeah, so as we were talking about before we started the podcast, um, this particular presentation I actually gave um, Ed Lake of uh, the Lake Law Offices now, by the way. And um, in yeah, Puerto new, Rico. New brand, congratulations. Yes, yes. Uh, so starting May 1st, we're going to have uh, an office in Puerto Rico, and, uh, and he has the one in New York. So um, he gave the presentation that I made, um, and it's called the Top Tech uh, 25 Tech Stack for Lawyers. And it basically goes over all these different things that are out there for lawyers to help them just automate their business and everything that they're doing. Because there's so much, right? A hundred percent, Grace. Like, you know, it can be very over overwhelming when you have to make decisions of all of these things. And most of times people don't make them all at once. But I think um, just by going over the presentation that you created here, you're giving actually some really good ideas. So I'll let you walk us through some of this. Um, and we can also look at some of the examples that you are recommending here. Yeah, so I'll start, you know, kind of where I'm coming from. Obviously, you know, I represent a few companies uh, that Ed owns and is the CEO and founder of, and that includes, you know, leaders in mass torts when it comes to uh, mass tort case acquisition, um, Game Changer Publishing, which is the book uh, publishing company that Ed has partnered with. And we are uh, basically putting out thought leadership books um, and assisting lawyers with publishing them. And then of course, which you know, Liel, is Persist Software. And the software is just an automation tool um, that will take all your leads, prospects, clients in your database, your current case management software, and automates the entire communication process by calling, emailing, and texting. So, of course, for me, that's where it starts. If Even if you don't start there, if you don't or don't have the capacity to think about handling something like persist because in truth it's very simple to use and very simple to integrate with your current systems but you may not be there in your mind you may not be comfortable with that you may not be ready to move forward because like you said what do we do especially as lawyers we don't we kind of resist change and it's not on purpose it's just you're trying to do the practice of law you're trying to work yeah. on your clients help your clients not think about the next piece of software that you're going to implement in your systems to make yourself more efficient. That's not how we think. You're here yeah. to help. You're trying to help. And so that's kind of where people like myself come in and where our law firm slash software company comes in. It's because we have implemented and done this so many times and we've worked with people at pretty much all kinds of their levels within the law firm. What yeah. do I mean by that? Well, depending on if you have one lawyer and two intake people or a hundred lawyers and a thousand intake people, systems like this are always going to benefit you. It's just which ones should you use and what do you have time to assess and where do you start? That's where we kind of come in when it comes to the automation components. 
Because if you start with Persist Software, it's going to automate the three components that I said, calling, leaving voicemails, text messages, and emails. So my presentation actually starts with auto dialers. I'm not calling them necessarily a power dialer. I'm not calling it an IVR, which is interactive voice response. I'm calling it an auto dialer because auto dialer encompasses sort of all of those things that I'm mentioning, which is it will automatically call based on a sequence or a list or whatever it is that you have that you purchased the software for. And it's usually outbound and it can include an interactive voice response. But what it does is it dials automatically. That's what an auto dialer is. At its most basic, simple, and we all need auto dialers. There should be no reason anyone is manually calling really ever again. I mean, think about when you click a phone number on your cell phone. Other than when you first put in that number in there, there's no reason for you to manually call somebody, correct? Yeah, that's right. You, you're not actually typing in numbers to call. But Grace, just so to understand a little bit better, what is the use of an auto dialer? So I totally understand the concept, particularly when you are doing marketing and getting a ton of form submissions where people are sharing with you their contact details and you need to start doing an outreach to them, right? You need to start, okay, I've told them that if they have uh, experienced uh, issues after using Zantac, they should get in touch with us because we can help. And so they submitted a form submission with their contact details. They're interested. So now it's your, you know, the, the ball is on your side. You need to now start getting in touch with these people and get them that information, qualify them, see whether you can indeed help them or you can, or, or if not, route them to another path. So I can see auto dialer being used there, right? Because it just makes your life easy. You're collecting the information and then you're actually um, using AI basically to help you organize who gets called first. Because I'm sure there's a lot of criteria here that you can set up yourself, whether it's by, you know, how long ago did the form was received? What other steps have already been completed? Has the person already received an automated text message or something? So you build all of these things in a way that it makes sense based on what you've seen that is most effective with your whole process of getting someone from a lead to an actual signed case. Now, and over a period of time, that obviously also makes sense and has worked. Has there's a proven track to work, and that's really where there's a lot of value on the persist software. If you'd ask me, is because there is not a lot of companies that actually have the data points to help you make those decisions. Right? There are softwares there that may be able to help you, but they're not going to be able to solve for you certain certain pieces of the puzzle here which is how long should you wait, how many times you should try. And that's where your expertise and your experience using this platform really is going to give answers to questions that otherwise you're going to have to spend a lot of time and money and effort testing out until you actually find out. 
And the reality is that even if when, you know, even when you're following your um, best practices and, and, and already gathered data, uh, you still need to optimize, right? There's no, there's no, nothing set it and forget it here in digital marketing um, and in, in general in operations. There's always going to be improvements, tweaks, there's external factors that are going to influence this, uh, the performance of campaigns, something that may be working beautifully one month just doesn't perform the next one. And so you need to figure out, tweak things around and make them work. So Grace, you're not going to believe this, but at the end of all of this rant, there was actual, uh, there is an actual question. That's a good use of autodialer. How can someone who's not necessarily getting a lot of inbound inquiries and such, but more so wants to use a better system for, I don't know, calling existing clients, organizing existing appointments, like how does the autodialer fit in all of this? So you know, I'm a huge proponent of integration and not purchasing if, you know, especially if you're, it doesn't really matter where you are in the life cycle of your firm. For me, it's about integrating all of your systems as much as possible. So to answer that question, an auto dialer can help somebody that doesn't have a lot of current leads or anything that they have to call out or a lot of inquiries by mining their current database of people and reminding them that you're there, making that client outreach as part of your strategy, especially if you have a small list, you need to maximize whatever it is you do have. And so to do that, an auto dialer will help you because an auto dialer could also have what's called a voicemail drop or a broadcast. If the person doesn't answer the phone, it leaves a voicemail. That's what persist does. So an auto dialer, which is a component of persist, it will leave this voicemail behind because they didn't pick up. And it can be something as simple as, hey, we noticed it was your birthday today. Hey, we noticed that you haven't, we haven't spoken to you in a while. Here's an update on what's been going on in the legal world. So it is specifically meant for communications at a rapid pace and in a way that makes sense and efficient for everybody, right? Because if that person doesn't pick up, Maybe they're at work. There could be any number of reasons, but now they have a voicemail or potentially a text message, right? Let's say you have that you're using persist um, or an email um, talking to them, telling them what this campaign was about, why you reached out to them. And again, if it's you have a small list, you could just be reaching out to them to let them know and remind them that you're there and there to help. I guess you can also use the auto dialer, right? Or the same principles in auto dialing for text messaging, which is, I think, another fantastic uh, method of communication, particularly when you say, you know, um, reminders, sending a, a happy birthday message or something like that. Sometimes that's better delivered over a text message. I think so. I also think that people are more likely to read a text message than answer a phone call from a number that they may not recognize. So that's why sometimes I think one route is better than the other. Mm -hmm. But I also like what you're saying here where you are actually having the option of leaving that voicemail, possibly almost calling knowing that you're going to be leaving a voicemail, which is something that you need to always be counting on. Exactly. And, you know, it take that also the component of an auto dialer with a voicemail drop included, meaning the person doesn't answer the phone, it leaves a voicemail that also takes that away from the agent having to manually leave a voicemail and best right. practices truthfully state that it's going to be in the campaign sequence that you're looking for. So let's look at yeah. this 
from that perspective. I have a campaign set up as a brand new campaign. I want that person when it first comes in to get called within five minutes. The system will do that. The system will send them a text. The system will send them an email. Yeah. They don't answer. It leaves a voicemail. And the next time it calls, it's X number of hours or the next day, depending on best practices. And it might not leave a voicemail because guess what? I already left a voicemail. Or maybe you're going to attempt a second call on that same day. And then if that doesn't get answered, then you'll leave a voicemail, right? Exactly. So there's a lot of ways that this can be built and customized. So again, you know, that's why I think building up and creating these sequences in a way that it's effective requires expertise to a degree. And I think that's why it's important to having the right partner to help you implement and, and configure these things. So A, you can start seeing results and good benefit from using this technology from the get-go and avoid making errors that, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with making them, but if you can actually get the help of someone who's already made them and know why you should avoid them, why not take it, right? Yeah, that's why you and I are always, we're constantly, you know, obviously we believe in our product and, and the things that we sell, you know, you, Nanato Media, you know, you're a great digital marketer, particularly in the Spanish marketplace with that's your focus and that's who you are. And for me, it's software and, you know, on the legal side of things and making sure people are integrated, automated. And even if you don't use us, that's why we constantly tell people on these podcasts, you need to create a partnership with somebody who does understand this stuff because it needs to be tailored for your use case, for your business, for your process. And you have to look at that. Grace, there is one tool here that you're mentioning on the type of software that law firm can use, and that's for affiliate marketing programs. And I'm really interested in hearing, because this is not a conversation that we've ever had here and we should probably do. How do you apply affiliate marketing techniques or an affiliate marketing strategy for a law firm? So obviously you can get into some potential issues if there's money being passed through the affiliate program. So I, for this particular section that we're going to discuss right now, I'm not going to use anything having to do with money. Um, I know generally speaking, particularly in the marketing world, it is money for affiliates, right? That's, that's what right. it is. It's, you're going to get a piece of this. If you sell this, that's the mm -hmm. way it works in affiliate marketing and affiliate marketing software and programs in our world, right? You're in my world. However, in the legal world, a lot of times affiliate marketing programs cannot have money tied to it because it's illegal to do so. Let's say, you know, um, or you're not really allowed to share fees or you can't give fees out for whatever reason. So for our purposes in this conversation, I'm going to refer to the affiliate marketing program and what it can do in terms of creating a referral generating world, for lack of a better term. So that's the way I see I saw this particular program for lawyers, and that's why I included it as one of the tech stacks. Um, if you include an affiliate marketing program and you basically are promoting that your law firm is best known as a thought leader in this space. Let's say you do motorcycle accidents and that's your focus. You are a niche law firm and you do this really, really well. Your affiliate marketing program can push this out to other lawyers and law firms out there and have them be aware of the fact that you are a thought leader in this space and they could in theory refer this back to you. So 
An affiliate in this sense, I'm referring to it as more of a referral, less of an affiliate, but it can be done nowadays. You can do this stuff in, in DC, if I'm not mistaken. And I think Arizona as well, where non-attorney reps can rep be represented. And that might fall under actually the sales and commission programs that I list in here, but it could be in theory, an affiliate marketing program if they were actual lawyers and they refer them back to you. So that's kind of how I looked at it. And, um, I, I mentioned some down here that are very direct to software, mm -hmm. you know, like referral rock software, lead dyno everflow. Those are true affiliate marketing programs and they can be modified for the legal world and legal services. I don't suggest it for everybody, but it's just another tool that could be in your sort of basket of tools potentially. It's definitely a conversation worth exploring. And as you said, of course, there's a lot of legal boundaries there as to what and what limitations you have and how you need to adjust it to make it work within the way that you handle referrals. But I think it's uh, definitely something that not need to be, it doesn't need to be uh, overseen. I think there is some massive opportunity there for law firms to explore. Now, Grace, it would be almost impossible for us to try to fit in all of these different solutions that you're suggesting here on this presentation on one single conversation. As a matter, Each one of these slides could be its own conversation for us. But what would you be, what would, I mean, like, which are your, your, your favorite two in addition of those we, we already mentioned? My favorite two, honestly, have to be um, picking the right e-signature platform. Yeah, and I was I was eyeing that one. Yeah, yeah, that is so important. People have no clue what a pain it can be. Well, I'm sure they do actually, and that's part of my been always been a huge pain point for me. I have gone through at least ten different e-signature platforms to find exactly the one that works for me the way I want it to. That includes HelloSign, DocuSign, AssureSign, SignNow, PandaDocs, eSign. I have literally gone through every single one of them, see how it integrates with Salesforce, see how it integrates with Litify, see how it integrates with Zoho CRM, how it integrates with Smart Advocate, all of them, okay? And so for me, that is a huge deal. What can I have that automatically inserts the information from one place to the next and in the right spot and then sends it out by email to the client to be signed? What is the easiest for them to use and for me to use? I personally settled on sign now. Why? Okay. Why? <laughs> I settled on sign now because sign now works clean with Zoho CRM. It autofills using a Zapier app from Zoho Forms. And as soon as it's done, it's signed, it then attaches itself along with the form into the client's record in Zoho CRM. That's super important, Grace, what you're saying here. Um, in your case, you know, the keys here, what I'm hearing is how it integrates with the platforms that you're already using. And I think that's always going to be super critical. You need to make sure that, you know, it lives well in your ecosystem. It doesn't matter just if the user experience and the ease of use of the platform is fantastic. If it doesn't integrate, that can be a big burden mm -hmm. because that means you're going to have to put a lot of manual work into getting something processed, right? Uh, you see, that's, that's, I think, one of those things that when you're growing 
you tend to oversee and you tend to say, well, you know what, it's okay to do it manual because anyhow, to automate this and to create a configuration is going to take a lot of hours. And so, you know, why automate something that it takes me 10 minutes to do it manually? But the reality is that as you start growing, if things go well, right, um, you start adding 10 minutes and 10 minutes and 10 minutes and it becomes a lot of time, right? And it also creates the opportunity for things to fall through the cracks. It's very easy for you to forget to do one or two. And then what happens if two people don't get their contracts? That's very meaningful in terms of not just the impact to your business, but you know, going back to the reputation management thing, to the experience of the actual user. And so it's, um, it's not just efficiency, it's due diligence. It's also about just making sure that the systems that you have in place are actually efficient to the point that you are minimizing, if not eliminating uh, as much as you possibly can errors. And so I think that's that's, Manual that's, input. One, that's one element that sometimes we leave outside of the, the decision-making process. Yeah. yeah. When we're looking at something, there are three main points to any e-signature platform you look at. One, how does it integrate with my systems? Right. That, and that that includes cost and licensing. In my opinion, that has to include that. And why? Because do I need one user? You know, if I have one email address that all of my people come and actually get the distribution group from. Right. Let's say, um, you know, info at legal intake services. Right. Well, all of my people get the email from info at legal intake services so that any of them at one point can respond to somebody if they need to. So how many licenses do I really need? In theory, I should only need one. But if I want each one of them to be able to send from their own instance or login inside of the CRM, what does that mean for your licensing and your integration on that e-signature platform? In HelloSign, it lets you, you have to have licenses enough to cover the people that are using it, but it lets you send it from one specific one and it integrates really nicely with Litify and Salesforce. That's HelloSign. So that was the one I suggested for somebody that I was working with to integrate Persist with Litify. I suggested they use HelloSign because of the cost and their process. But for me, HelloSign didn't work because it doesn't integrate with Zoho CRM cleanly. Sign now works best for me because of the way it gets sent and the cost. So there's a lot, there's really three things you got to look at the integration piece and cost. How, how is it going to look inside of your CRM? How's going to get in there? And that's, I know that's part of integration, but I think about that as a separate component because you may have to deal with the API, like you said. We don't, I don't deal with APIs if I can help it, even though we're a software company, yeah. because it costs too much time. Yeah. It's resources heavy. Yes. And then three, the user, what does the user experience look like? I yeah. first started using Zoho sign because it, for me on my side, it was literally click a button, send yeah. a signature. It was super easy to use on our side when it got to the user. Oh yeah. They, uh, they they couldn't figure it out. They're like, I don't see where the yeah. button is. The thing's not popping up. I can't sign it. I can't see it. With all with all the respect to Zoho, which I think it's you know they're on a big mission. They're trying to be the software solution for everything, everything business. With all the respect to that, I think when you take that approach, you end up having product that can be very clunky in many ends, and that that is one of them. Um, 
is just not polished enough, in my opinion. I think Agreed. you can certainly you can certainly use it for um, doing a lot of organization from the back end, but at the moment that you put it on in front of the user, I don't necessarily think it's the best. It's so, not user friendly. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sign it's, now is. Sign now is yeah. super simple. I can text somebody and as long as the form looks decent enough, they can literally click through it. Next, 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 next. Yeah. I've heard the same about hello sign and I've experienced hello sign on that side. Same thing. Super simple. That's super important. If the integration and everything falls right into place, that's good. That's important. But what Great says is saying here is it's enough to make you have to rethink a lot of what you're doing if the user experience is not good. Because if your users are not responding to it, and every single time you send a form, you get a phone call of someone who needs to be walked through how to do it, then you, your your whole automation process is defeated because you're not saving any time. You're not actually being able to make life easy to you or to your clients, and it's just not the purpose of how things should work. Grace, I think we have time for one more preferred or software that you would um, want to highlight from this very impressive list. So to me, the most important and people fail to know that this even exists is an email processor or parsing software. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. El elaborate, Grace, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you knew I'm going to. So an email parser, guys, for those of you that don't know, it comes with, most of the time, the enterprise version, which is one of the higher versions of Salesforce. It comes with the enterprise version and professional version of Zoho CRM. I believe Smart Advocate has an email parser now, but I'm not 100% sure about that. We used to use a a uh, system called mail parser. It was, that's what it was called. And it was just a little piece of software that sat on our computer on a physical server. This was over 10 years ago, guys, maybe 15, maybe 20 now. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, but this has been around a long time An email parsing software. What does it do? It takes the email that is sent to you, usually a lead. I use this strictly for leads cases and everything that comes into our system. I use an email parser for, and it extracts the data into somewhere else. In our case, I have it extract the data from a lead form online, from an attachment from a case that's being sent to me by a vendor, or even further than that, when I'm sending it to, so that it goes right into my case management software with specific statuses as I've assigned it. So an email parser takes data from an email, whether it's an attachment or the body of it, and sticks it where you want it to go by mapping the fields across to a spreadsheet, to a CRM, to case management software, or wherever you need it to go. Give us an, an example of how are you using this? For instance, you were saying form submissions uh, and such. So when you're getting form submissions, they already come organized by fields, right? Like each question it's its own sale and then that sale gets inserted into your CRM and it would kind of like create the contact and maybe even auto-enroll it into a sequence based on the answers that were given in that form. But if I understand correctly, what you're saying here with an uh, email processor is basically an email that is basically, you know, think about any random email that you get, it's just, it's just text paragraphs. And so these software basically reads that or scans through that email and then subtracts information for that to plug it 
the same way that it would do for a web form. Is that it's correct? Exactly the same as that. Generally speaking, you could have leads, right, coming in from a bunch of sources, a lot of sources, right? And almost always they come in as emails, almost always, right? So I might have organic sources somewhere here, but I might be paying for a lead or lead campaign somewhere else. How do you get all of this data without manual input into one place? Use an email parser without having to use an API. If you don't have a web form that automatically integrates with the case management software, which is, seems to be the case a lot of times, right? Because you might be posting a landing page on Facebook or you have a digital marketing company like yourself doing leads for them. So how do I get that data immediately with the fields I need into my CRM? You can use an email parser. That's right, Grace. That's actually a good solution. So it could be for that kind of kind of scenario where if you are buying leads from ton of different sources and they're not integrating to your CRM directly and they're just sending you email notifications, right? Like this new lead got generated, this new lead. Well, first of all, which is a terrible configuration. Hopefully it does integrate to our CRM or you get some sort of access to a dashboard with the option of then having those leads being pushed to your actual CRM. But if you're getting web forms via email, then this can help make that connection. Okay, we got a lead here. We have all the details here. Now let's plug that into the CRM. What I think this is very powerful for when, you know, is, is that, right? I mean, there is an email of your company somewhere out there for general inquiries. And those general inquiries also need to be processed. And so this could really help you and facilitate the expedition of processing these inquiries by actually allowing you to scan, subtract the information that you need from there so you can know how to respond back without maybe having to read the email. That's powerful. It sure is. Exactly. And that's the point, right? It's automate everything you can. So that's why to me, the email parser, as little as a thing as it seems to, to you and I, because honestly, we automate everything. To us, this seems kind of stupid, honestly. It does. It does seem kind of dumb. But I've been come across so many times where there's so many different emails coming from so many different sources. And it's hard for people to understand that you need to integrate it here, here, how to map fields. Yeah. One of the easiest ways to do that is just use a system that does that for you already. And I use... You know, I use the native uh, mail parser in Zoho CRM. And for anything that requires something maybe a little more complex, including a webhook, I use mail parser because it yeah. allows me to integrate using an API. If you know enough about that part of it, it's part of the, the mail processor or parser. Yeah. Grace, that's really good, but it's time for our takeaways. So where should we start? I think we should start where don't forget about your reviews and answering every single one. That was our first conversation, right? Yeah, I think I think that really uh, was a uh, as I've called it a, a wake up call that there is a threat, right? We a, a lot of what happens in the digital world we we build and hope on people's morals and goodwill, but when that's not there, when when sometimes don't things don't work that way, you need to you need to stand up for yourself and know how you're gonna react. So what you're gonna do, and most importantly, have a system in place that's gonna support you coming out of that. 
Definitely. I mean, you need to know, you need, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so the only thing you can do is respond to things that you see. Very good point. So I think the second one would be, you know, there are a lot of programs out there. There's a lot of software out there that can help you automate everything, whether you're at the initial stages of being a law firm or a mature law firm, it doesn't matter. There's tons of things out there that can help and benefit you, but you need to speak to somebody like Liel or myself that truly cares about where you are and how to get you to that next step because there's so many things to think about when it comes to software. So get a partner, figure something out. If you can't figure it out, reach out to us and we will help you figure out who your best partner could be in terms of automating processes so that you don't have to do it manually anymore. A hundred percent agree, Grace. We have one more takeaway, Grace. So my final takeaway is Think about things as if you were a business, not just a law firm, and it will help you so much more than you can imagine right now. And it's because most of you that go into law and become a lawyer, you're there to help. And that has nothing to do with what I'm going to say next, but you're there to help, but you have to help yourself as a business to help others. The only thing that I will add and really applicable to um, all of them is when making these type of decisions, whether it's for automation, whether it's when um, implementing your reputation management uh, process or so, think one or two steps ahead, right? Don't just limit yourself thinking again, what what do you need right now? Um, think, of, think about this, the scalability of things. I, I don't know, what do you think? No, you're right. You got to look at the whole thing, right? As a, as a whole and then fix and decide where you want things to go. Not just because it's the cheapest, not just because it's the, you know, or most expensive, not just because you think it's going to work. You got to look at all the different components, where you are in your, your business, what's going to work for you and how is it going to best help you be more efficient and be useful for the user and easy for them to use. Grace, thank you very much. I mean, this really is a terrific presentation. There's a lot of information here. So yeah, as I've said, we can easily at any point come back here, pick another couple of slides here and make another conversation because there is really, really some good ideas here that can help you get creative. And most importantly, think outside of the box, right? Things that you may have not thought that you can use software to uh, implement for your law firm. You actually can. You'll be amazed as to how much you can get out of it. Well, Grace, but we'll leave that for another conversation, right? Yep. Got tons. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, have a great rest of your day. Take care, Grace. You too, Leo. Okay, bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week.